right, this is the next episode of 10 Questions, and on the other end, with me I have uh, Russ, also, uh, also known as, uh, I believe the, uh, the handle on Twitter is Don't Look Behind You. Absolutely, how do you do? Okay. <laughs> Doing good, yeah, I, I will admit, even today, I was still looking at that and thinking, Don't, uh, don't Look Be Hindu. Yeah, no, I get that occasionally, uh, <laughs> and uh, where the moniker came from was uh, I originally created the account just to Twitter stalk some people and some friends and things like that, and I was never posting, and I just kind of had on it, uh, sat on it, so when people were getting this, uh, you got a follower, don't look behind you. Uh <laughs> Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> that, okay, that okay. that's the the mindset behind the name for that. All right. Well, do, we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, jump in here and uh, um, you know, say the, the first question. Something that got me highly interested. I was looking at the uh, at, at the uh, synopsis for the talk that you're going to be doing at ShmooCon, which by the time this drops will have already come and gone. Sure. Um, but uh, it's, um, it's about a wire, wireless collection. Um, yeah. That. Yeah. So uh, for, you know, uh, speaking to the future selves, uh, the <laughs> the background of this was, um, I'll, I'll kind of give you the, the high level. So in the land long time ago, but not far from where I'm sitting, the uh, uh, I, I wanted to get back into doing some radio development stuff. And I'd been working with the Wireless Village as the software-defined radio guy for quite some time at that point. And uh, in an effort to just kind of relearn some stuff that I had once known, but because of time and career and family and all that stuff, it's a bicycle that you really begin to remember how to ride again. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, I wanted to uh, relearn some stuff and start collecting uh, the radio signals that were kind of propagating around me. And this is before uh, Kismet as it's currently uh, in its current incarnation was created uh, back when it was still heavily in curses based and command, uh, just console based. So, um, I wrote a very basic uh, sniffer and see uh, that the purpose was to collect the beacons and probes and only beacons and probes of Wi-Fi signals. And then uh, I extended it to Bluetooth as well with um, the Ubertooth uh, and as a supporting cast member of hardware uh, to collect the radio signals around my house and log them because I wanted to see patterns of behavior over time. And part of this also comes from uh, the the nuttiness of who I am in my core. There, there's a friend that I have uh, that's not an infosec, but he's a, a data scientist, uh, data visualization scientist. So like he loves to data log everything and then create a report about it. And my most favorite one that he does is his annual report about himself where he annotates how many hard-boiled eggs he's eaten um, <laughs> down to the egg and then average caloric intake, uh, how many steps he's taken, how many miles he's run. Uh, how much beer and wine, whatever he's consumed, places he's been to, like he, and he presents it like it's an investor report. Um, and it, it, one, it's just like an enjoying, uh, it's a joy to read like the median in which he presents the information, but that's his role. So we came up with this mantra of if it can be measured, it must. And uh, that's kind of, because uh, it kind of explains 
this little thing that we have, uh, this little bug in our head for data logging and uh, pattern mm -hmm. behavior. So I created the system and I got it up and running just before Halloween. And I've nicknamed Halloween Sigint Night uh, for me because okay. everyone's bringing their electronic devices with them and I can actually see who you are tied with the uh, presence of the device in the proximity of my uh, collection effort. Well, the other reason for creating the system was uh, we had uh, recently moved into a new house and it's pretty far back in the property line and there's not a lot of light and we have critters and uh, I also have stalkers. And so uh, I started building a security apparatus and a perimeter defense around the house. And it started off with, uh, you know, you start off with cameras and motion detectors. That's that's easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But from there, it was like, okay, something came into my property. What was it? And so I did some research uh, and asked uh, some friends in another house, uh, like, this is what I want to do. And they go, do you know what a geophone is? And I said, no. So I researched geophones and I built a very simple geophone. So I now know from the impact in the ground, whether it's a person, a car, or an animal. So that does the annotation of like, I have an internal house alert voice system um, where it'll say left driveway, right driveway, or you know a certain point in the yard when a beam break happens during the daytime, but then it'll say car person or whatever. Because okay. I wanted to know the ultimate question of whether or not I had to put pants on uh, before <laughs> someone came to the door. So, um, all right. So now I know that something has come in and I know it's now a person, but do I know who it is? Cause like people have electronic devices on their wrists and their phones and their cards and TPMS and all that sort of hoobajoo was kind of up and coming at the time. And, uh, I wanted to know who was coming so I could answer the pants question. <laughs> and, um, so I created this rudimentary system to annotate it, uh, well, to start logging and then present it in a web page. And uh, about a month and change after creating it, um, my neighbor found out who I worked for at the time and asked me some very direct questions about a problem that he was having where I live in one of those neighborhoods where people don't lock their cars or their homes. And uh, cool, I'm not that person, uh, but. I'm glad some people feel comfortable enough in the world that they can be uh, in that mindset. But they were having money stolen out of their car. Their electronics were being left behind. Uh, wallet was left behind. Phones were left behind. Laptop was there. All the other apparatus, but money was stolen. It could be a penny. It could be a nickel. It could be 20 bucks. It could be a, a dollar, whatever. Cash was missing. And he, his aha moment was he withdrew $200, spent 20, left 180 in the wallet. And the next morning it was gone. I'm like, okay, well, he explained the problem. And I asked him, well, did you talk to your kids? And do you want me to scare them straight or have that, you know, kind of spooky authoritative figure discussion? And he's like, no, it's not the kids. And are you sure it's the kids? Uh, sure. It's not the kids. And well, it wasn't the kids. Uh, he convinced me on that. So I do a lot of hunting uh, in my spare time and people when, uh, they get into patterns of behavior, become ver uh, the animalistic side of them comes out, especially when they're uh, when they know that they have some high, uh, they're doing something wrong or there's some heightened sense of concern. Think about like the red team folks, like, you know, mm -hmm. you're not supposed to be there. You're like, yeah, there's an adrenaline rush and all that sort of stuff goes on. Well, especially for criminals at night, you can set up 
um, the position of the vehicle and things like that. So things feel more comfortable to do something. So I told him, all right, I'll set up a camera on our shared property line on the fence post on my side of the property line. Um, we'll have you move your car a little bit over and we'll have this perfect visual gallery of uh the individual would have cover or perceive having cover from your house, from my house and all that stuff. And, uh, man, it was, it was great. So I set the camera up and I was like, all right, we'll see how it looks during the first night. I'm definitely going to need to readjust it. Cause like I was eyeballing where things were and nighttime modes, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But I go back and look through it and there was a ding like at three forty. Sorry, two forty in the morning. I'm like, oh, that's bizarre. And sure enough, there's a dude walking up, strobing a flashlight at it, and he gets up to the camera and mouths a curse word, and then just duck waddles away. And <laughs> uh, we're like, wow, that was serendipitously fast. And so we called the the police, and it got passed over to the detectives, and provided them the video and they immediately recognized who they, uh, who the subject was. And it was, you know, frequent flyer, I guess, a repeat customer. Um, and, uh, the detective called me and we had the discussion and I said, Hey, not for nothing. Um, you know, uh, in my line of work, we need a consent to search or a search warrant in order to get the information that I propose that you could use because I have this system that runs at my house that collects radio signals. And if you can get me the MAC address off of their phone and Bluetooth adapter, maybe they, I can, I've been running this for a while and all that stuff. Well, anyways, for the duration that I had been running it, he had walked by my house, uh, like in the Odark 30 time period. Mm -hmm. And the next morning thefts were reported in the neighborhood. And it was almost an exact, uh, that was, a, a it was awesome. Uh, so he went to jail, um, and, uh, uh, so there was that. And then shortly thereafter, uh, so I'm in the uh, Kismet IRC channel and uh, sharing some of the pre-code to folks and things like that. And uh, there was an individual I wanted in the Netherlands. I'm trying to remember exactly which country, but he was running it uh, in his girlfriend's house who was having an ex-boyfriend stalkerish situation. And they, 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 they had a feeling that the guy was coming in, but they never had proof. And then they presented the proof, like, here's his phone inside the uh anyways so that was a win and a little bit thereafter dragorn messaged me uh said i'm sorry but i may have killed your project uh which is a good thing um because uh I and mean, we had been talking around that time of like a massive kismet overhaul and rewrite and um kind of like bringing it into uh modern user interface era and all that sort of stuff and mm -hmm. um well, at that point, I decided to stop working on the project and migrate and integrate the stuff that I had been working on into Kismet. And uh, so I, I shoved in uh, the ADSB code and the AMR code. And for Shmoo, I'm going to do a demo of APRS. Uh, so like right now, there's a transmitter off of the battleship New Jersey, and I'm picking that up. And I, I got the... I, Folks at home won't be able to see this, but here's the prototype circuit board that's going awesome. to be available and passed around at Shmoo. Uh, so, like, there's a uh, the talk is like, all right. So, I, I started doing this one-off platform. 
no one should be doing one-off platforms anymore. Kismet is extensible enough that you could take your idea and now shove it in as a data feed. Let's turn Kismet into a second platform. Here's how. Here's how I did it. Uh, here's how I made some custom hardware. Here's how I did the exact same thing in software-defined radio. Uh, that's my goal, at least. Um, and because uh, I'm still writing the talk right now. <laughs> still writing some code. I'm mostly done. Um, and because uh, uh, that's, you know, you're, you're always people are always tweaking their slides even like three minutes before they get up on stage. Uh, but like right now I'm work, uh, I have a couple of demonstrations I want to provide. I'm trying to figure out how to do it reliably. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going through that little thing right now. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to, I've seen so many different talks right now about how people have been building their one-off things. Uh, there was a, a com a while ago that I was at where they, I don't agree with sniffing poxag and all that stuff. Granted, you could do it, but that's like massively invasive uh, in privacy. And uh, there's a uh, individual who put out a uh, video blog on it. Um, the name's escaping me. I got his face in my head. I can pull it up in a minute. Uh, uh, anyways, uh, signals everywhere. That's his. Uh, uh, vlog but he raised a very valid point uh which is you while you may be having your best day and figuring out how to observe a signal and see the text on it you are observing someone's worst day in their life uh in the message like a heart attack or uh need xyz sort of thing like they're in the hospital they're not having a good time uh there needs to be some somber remembrance of like what's going on there so anyways <laughs> I, I saw this one talk where they built a Poxac SIGINT platform for hospital pagers. I'm like, well, what do you do? But um, then I've seen some other ones where people are doing their own Wi-Fi and some of their own Bluetooth stuff. And essentially, this is this was a, a journey of a story of like how I started going in that direction and decided, you know what? This one's a little bit better. It's not that difficult to get into. Um, so I'm doing a demonstration of like, you really don't need to know a lot of C or C++. There's a lot of copy paste. And for those who know Vi, how to do a string search and replace in it. And then you're 80% there on the adoption of your own code into it. And then there's a Python wrapper that you can write that shoves in the rest of the data. And here's how to get some other stuff in a web page. So that's, that's essentially all there is about that. Um, and in an effort uh, to uh, try to demonstrate and show some folks of like, you don't need to be making these one-off things and you can integrate it into this one existing package that just makes it even more more cooler, more gooder, more better, more stronger, faster, more gooder. Uh, <laughs> but the um, uh, to be able to monitor everything and uh, no, the folks at home won't be able to see this, but I can pan the camera over to my software-defined radio cabinet over here that's got like, and then, uh, no, I upgraded the computer. It's a uh, super micro with uh, 28 cores, uh, half a, Wow. Half a terabyte of RAM, 10 gig Ethernet, and it's just got SDRs all over it. And it's an antenna box and it's recording and monitoring and doing all that stuff. And because if it can be measured, it must. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there's nothing more enjoyable than, at least for me, uh, other people get their jollies in other ways. This is how I get them. I saw a police officer over at the playground, and then another one rolls in, and then there's uh, it doesn't appear to be an accident, but something's going on there. I was able to go back and listen to the feed to figure out what the exact, what was going on in my neighborhood. Um, cause they weren't encrypting. Uh, but 
they are on P25, and I was able to listen to the replay of what was going on, and it was an Amber Alert situation. Like, cool. Uh, they they got it resolved, but it was it was weird. So uh, stuff happens everywhere. So yeah, that's that's the um, uh, the background of the talk. Um, I'm trying to convey it as a story and a journey and how I came to the decision that I did and that it's really not as scary and difficult as a lot of people think it may be to include uh, Dragorn. Uh, he thinks um, that there's uh, the C++ aspect of it is a huge barrier to entry. Uh, and he and I will butt heads on this. I don't think so because I was able to do a lot of the stuff that I was doing by just essentially doing string search replace of like mm -hmm. specific function namespaces and things like that. I needed to understand what the functions were and his documentation is some of the best I've ever seen of any open source project that's out there. Uh, the dude writes really well and documents really well and is extremely user friendly. And I would not have been successful in the venture that I had done also without his love and support. Like the guy gives a lot. And let's say you get to the 80% part and you're just stuck. He will get you over the finish line. And then uh, with the ADSB and AMR stuff, he took it and ran with it in a full like nerd snipe uh, moment where I was using it uh, originally as a wrapper of some stuff. And then I started going in the direction of uh, SDR uh, reception of the signals. And he just ran with it on that and just did it faster than I could. So I then went back and saw how he did it and was like, I learned a thing. So <laughs> the, uh, it's, it's, um, but now it does it natively completely inside of it. And, um, uh, I, I hope that it will not be a, uh, a terrifying feat for a lot of folks in the not so distant future and a demonstration of that. There is a community out there that can help you. Uh, especially if you want to get into this because, um, Kismet just keeps getting awesomer and awesomer and awesomer. And like it's, uh, uh, also, I, I harp that Mike needs to teach a computer science class because there is some black magic wizardry voodoo stuff that he does inside of that. That I, it, I I'm better off sacrificing a chicken and figuring out exactly what happened here. <laughs> it, it, it's the uh, um, and the, there there have been times I've been in conversation with him. He's like, I'm surprised that even worked. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> But yeah, it's it's uh, he's a great friend, and he's also um, a huge uh, supporter in the community. And um, probably the only other thing that I would say is a major barrier to entry um, is the licensing schema. So Kismet's GPL two. A lot of folks are doing MIT or GPL three. Right off the bat, that that makes an administrative burden um, in some regards. So. Um, and that was actually the direction as to how we figured out that there was something going sideways because the uh, uh, the first library that I was looking to use was GPL3. And I, I wasn't paying attention to that. I was like, hey, it works. I got airplanes and kids been cool. Um, and it got pushed. And it wasn't until a little bit later that he went back to look at the library. He goes, uh, nope, we're going to have to pull that all out and rewrite everything from scratch. I'm like, cool. So uh, that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. There you go. There you go. Man, that's that. That sounds highly interesting. It make, make makes me uh, make, makes me even more jealous of the people that can make it schmoo con. <laughs> It'll be on the internet, live telecasted. 
Um, I'll be I'll be looking for it. Definitely be looking for it. It's uh, I think I threw the tweet out like uh, everyone don't party too hard because it's going to be Sunday at so, 10. First man, one up. Yeah. yeah so. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, love Heidi. To... I love Bruce and Heidi to death, but they're they're making me be an adult. So, OK, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you still have time to party a little bit. The night yes. before. Yeah, so. of course. Okay, um, well, uh, moving on to question two then. Uh, another one of those things I saw whenever I was uh, looking at your stuff is uh, you make the comment about being a recovering fed. Yeah, recovering fedaholic. <laughs> um, so I recently, uh, I worked for the FBI for 10 years. Okay. Oh, shoot. I can't say the name two more times because otherwise there'll be like that one ghost from the uh, late 80s, early 90s that shows up. <laughs> Uh, unannounced and makes everything awful for you. Um, so now I, I worked for them uh, for 10 years uh, and that was a very interesting career and opportunity and life experience. Um, and uh, uh, there's a lot that I miss about it. My, my former unit and uh, a lot of other folks in the field and all that stuff, I miss them, love them to death. Uh, still chat with them on a very routine basis um and uh yeah it's uh it was a career choice that i'm not entirely sh i'm still evaluating whether or not i would do again um <laughs> i'll be honest on that I, i'm my wife is very correct in the supposition that i should not make that decision anytime soon because a long time ago i owned a company that was a startup that um, I ended up getting out of, and at the time I thought I was like, I'm never doing that again. That was the worst experience ever. Oh boy, did I get older. Uh, <laughs> but the, um, but nowadays, like I was young, uh, I feel like I got an MBA out of that life experience. Yeah. I learned a lot out of it and I probably would do it again. Uh, but not in my current state <laughs> back when there I was you young and had no, um, real heavy uh liability <laughs> uh, financially um, there you go. but the uh yeah it's uh, i started off in the cyber program in the field office uh got hired in from industry and that was that was a fun experience excuse me uh the uh and after four and a half ish years i got promoted to a headquarters role um but i didn't have to relocate uh they create they created a little niche job for me where I was a headquarters body, uh, worked from home, traveled around the world doing cyber stuffs. Um, and uh, uh, so the the big thing that was one of my responsibilities was the cyber action team. And that's the 24-7 uh, fly team anywhere in the world for two, uh, uh, two sophisticated computer intrusions. So... Okay. Um, if uh, if you had ever heard of like a big computer breach somewhere in the world or a takedown of a data center or something like that, I was probably there. There uh, you go. And it was like, like I said, it was that a, a lot of fun. If I wasn't there, someone from my team or my unit was there. Like it's yeah. um, and uh, those people are some of the smartest, most clever individuals who I've ever had the honor to work with. Um, uh, no offense to my current team members right now at white ops. <laughs> I'm just, I, I love you guys too. I'm just getting, I'm getting used to y'all as well. Uh, and they're, they're being very, uh, understanding of my, uh, transition back to normalcy. I've 
cut out the use of a lot of acronyms. Uh, they, they fortunately have been really great with helping me with that because we do the Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse sort of thing. Like if it, if I ever say AOR or PH or anything like that, they're like, ah, like acronym. Like, no, <laughs> all right, stop using acronyms. Um, but the, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was a heck of a career, um, heck of an experience. I got to do a lot of weird random stuff and it really taught me there was one friend that's over there um and he gave me the best advice which is applicable to all jobs anywhere and the opportunities that you get are not earned they're made and they're made by you because no one's going to just give you something you have to go forth and demonstrate success and make it and uh, uh in that organization i was not an agent uh so the population uh, uh, they, they say you're either an agent or not, or you're not. So I was a computer scientist. Um, so my career aspirations were extremely limited at that point. Like I could never be a supervisor. I could never be moved up or promoted or like, if I wanted to get a new job, I'd have to apply to it as if it was an external posting. Um, okay. and, uh, uh, there were, there was no, like even the retirement benefits are disproportionate and all that stuff. So, yeah. um, the uh so I, at the time i thought i was dead in this was it i'm punching out and the, that was like at my four year mark and he explained no like you're making opportunity and go for it and i found a home uh, at headquarters and uh it was a lot of fun and uh uh they're they are uh they're going through some challenges as you can imagine but uh i wish them all the success and luck um that they can afford. And I also like, I'm not a religious person, but I'm deeply concerned about them all the time. Whenever I see something in the news, especially with current mm -hmm. situations right now, um, because they, uh, the, the FBI is not, Oh shoot. I said it twice. Uh, <laughs> they, they are, uh, not just a domestic law enforcement agency. They are a global presence and influence. Yeah. And, um, uh, the institution, uh, has some growing it needs to do and some updating that it needs to do. And I hope that they'll get there. Uh, but those were some of the other reasons uh, for looking externally. And ultimately at the end of the day, after 10 years um, said, well, what I, I have 27 more years to go until I could retire. Uh, if I was an agent, I'd have 10 more years to go until I could retire. All right. Well, that doesn't seem exactly right, but whatever. Uh, I'm already past the, my prime in order to, uh, uh become an agent anyways, uh, <laughs> heck in a couple of months, I'm going to be, um, uh, dead in internet years. Cause I'll be past 40, but <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, but the, so I started thinking, I was like, all right, could I do the same job for another 27 years? Cause I couldn't be, I couldn't take the first step up or get all the way to the top. That it was just not possible, right. uh, at the time. And, uh, so could I do the same thing for another 27 years? And I came to the answer of no. It's like, all right, well, let's say that there was another opportunity or something that I could apply for. That was the other thing is that I was not in a position to relocate down to the DC area mm -hmm. um, where I probably would have a lot more opportunities for uh, having them create a position for me that I could then apply and get. But um, the, uh, my wife is an insanely brilliant person, but there's only like seven places in the U S that she can work. Um, <laughs> and, uh, she's a, a biostatistician cancer research. Um, and she does not want to work for big pharma. Uh, 
so I totally understand it and support that message. Uh, but the uh, I can that that makes things very restrictive for her field as to where we could geographically be. But the so you know another twenty seven years could I do it for another twenty seven years? No, was not the answer. All right. So could I take another job in another role or something like that and just be in the bureau for another twenty seven years? Um, I didn't say it completely, so that doesn't count as three. Uh, <laughs> and my answer was no on that. And then it turned into the question of, could they handle me for another 27 years? <laughs> and that was the permutation of the Rorschach thing of, uh, see, it's not that I'm locked in here with you, you're locked in here with me. <laughs> and um, I'm not entirely sure like they could handle me for another 27 years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because I'm an extremely opinionated individual and extremely vocal, and uh, my opinions were made very well known, <laughs> uh, not necessarily by my doing, but uh, I uh, partly they called it KMA status. Um, all right, we're going to bump this conversation up to PG-13. Stands for kiss my ass. Uh, and what that meant was when you were at retirement, you now held the hammer. They ain't got anything that they could do to you because you're out. Like, here's my retirement. I'm out. I'm done. You can't fire right. me. I quit. Uh, and then you would keep your benefits. So it was KMA status. And uh, I came to the mental supposition of KMA status long before I was ever actually KMA. Uh, and all of a sudden, my attitude shifted. My behavior shifted uh, where I had better mental health in the sense of... Um, well, it's like, all right, you want to fire me? I'll just get a job somewhere else. It's, uh, <laughs> like, you need me more than I need you uh, was ultimately, uh, it was slightly arrogant to say it that way, but it ended up being the case. And that allowed me to be able to have a voice for a lot of people and express a non-sugar-coated opi uh, opinions. And uh, so I'll give you an example. Uh, some institutions, they don't have problems whatsoever. What they have are opportunities. All right, that's sugarcoating. Yeah. But, but if you start using the word opportunity, it means, one, the, the elephant in the room is not being addressed head on, but you change the elephant to something else. But if you use the word opportunity, you don't have to take all the opportunities that you're given. True, true. So anyone who expresses anything in a sugar-coated way is not going to take action on whatever the thing is in front of you. Because if it's an opportunity, I don't have to do anything about it. I don't have to take all the opportunities <laughs> that are given to me. Um, and that that's bureaucracy uh, in a ways, uh, in my experience of it. But yeah, that was, um, I'm a recovering fetaholic. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and also in some regards as I uh, uh, was expressing to all my friends and family in that side of the house, nobody ever really quit KGB. Uh, <laughs> like it, I will answer my phone for some specific people if they ever called me. Well, they do call me, but I'll only answer it to a handful of people. There's a handful of folks I'll absolutely not answer it for. The rest of them, here's my rate. <laughs> there you go. There uh, you go. But yeah, it's, uh, they've got a tough mission. Uh, it's a tough environment. Um, things are not any easier over there. Um, I wish them all the best. Uh, I, uh, but for me, I, I hit my limit. 
personally. And also it, it hit a limit on the family uh, as well. I was gone a lot. Um, and I missed a lot of firsts uh, with uh, my oldest daughter. And we had a son uh, last year. And I was like, you know, this is my last year. I'm not going to miss any more firsts uh, for either of them. And uh, I've been really grateful for the opportunity uh, White Ops has given me because they scratch my mission itch uh, of <clears> finding <throat> bad folks on the internet and uh, even working with law enforcement to get them in jail. Um, and uh, so they scratch that itch. They do not have the bureaucratic nonsense of you can't buy this. It's made in China. Uh, well, everything's <laughs> made in China. Come on. And, uh, uh, or the, uh, or you got to fill out a PO and it sits in the queue in a system. And six months later they go, it's been approved. Well, the thing isn't made anymore. Uh, <laughs> that's why I always says like, you know, yesterday's technology tomorrow. Um, but the I don't have any of those problems anymore, so I'm able to run a lot faster. I've got a really great team. Um, they understand where I've come from because uh, a chunk of them have had uh, notches in their belt with government service. And uh, they're extremely loving and welcoming. And the culture of the organization uh, at White Ops is fantastic as well. It's um, uh, I, I, I will admit, like my first my first day at my previous job, Actually, it took about a week until someone that I didn't know came up and said hi. Uh, and that's partly because of the culture of that organization. At right. White Ops, it was like within 30 seconds, I'm sitting there. Hey, who are you? Oh, I'm the new guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, here's here's the uh, cafeteria over here. Breakfast will be ready in a little bit. Just make it. Uh, I got to my desk and they put like a crime scene. Do not cross tape on it. And they had my like Dunkin Donuts stuff there. And I was like, ah! <laughs> like there was a lot. There was a this effort of like welcome like uh and i was just like the this little tiny paranoid thing was going off in my head it's like when's the other shoe going to drop like where's the camera they're going to come out and get me any minute now um but no that was not the case it, it's uh, uh i enjoy working uh with them every day and uh uh that's that's kind of the uh the background between all of that and the transition between here and there and everywhere and um Probably the only other one other thing that I would say from what I used to do before was um, the easiest way that I could describe the other part of my job was I no longer did things on the internet, but I would do things to the internet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, I, that, there's tongue in cheek in, in that, but it's, um, it's amazing. Like if you got a court order to do a thing, well, you got a court order to do the thing. So the thing makes you, get it done. And there were some things that I've done that made the new cycles and uh, stuff like that. And uh, some techniques that were fun to develop. And, um, but it also gave me another perspective uh, that I've carried over with me to the new, uh, new job and I've communicated to a handful of folks and it's one of, um, Oh, emergency, emergency, emergency. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. pump the brakes. Is anyone going to die? is anyone about to die? This is not an emergency. <laughs> this is a manufactured emergency. Uh, so like uh, I, I brought some of that attitude in to the company and it's actually made an impact in some regards in the sense of like, actually uh, it, it goes back to uh, uh, a remark I made earlier in the week or last week of um, pump your brakes, uh, change control is important. Um, uh, Certainly don't do stuff on a Friday. 
that's just mean. Um, but the the uh, aspect of um, if no one is going to die and the sky really and truly isn't falling, it's really not an emergency. It 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 should have attention and awareness brought to it, but it's not a we got to put the key in the switch and rotate it ninety degrees to the right in synchronization and press the red magic button uh, <laughs> sort of level of concern. Um, so it's it's really brought a perspective on life in that aspect with me that I will probably not be able to shake. Um, Cause I've had people not in my current role, but I've had people like uh, in the last one, like yell at me in the face and all that stuff. And I go, my first question was, is anyone going to die? No. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I could actually legitimately get away with something like that. It's uh, other people's poor planning does not constitute an emergency on my part. Um, and but it was reframing that in a message that that audience would understand um but yeah so bomb threats are bomb threats kidnappings are kidnappings absolutely all hands on deck panic button all yeah exactly absolutely the subject of an investigation didn't click the email attachment that we sent to them. It's not beginning back. They're like, it's because they didn't do it. I, I can't make them do it. Like, you're just going to have to be patient. Sorry, bucko. Oh, and like, I'll know when they do it, uh, but just calm down. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, well, d- diving into uh, some random questions here. Sure. Um, what would you say is your favorite midnight snack? Ooh. <clears throat> um, ooh. So I have I have two categories for this overall. Um, and one has to do with what is it that is my uh, devil's food cake, uh, food cake favorite snack. And then the other one is the which is the one that's not going to make my golf bladder like punch me in the morning. Um <laughs> So the 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 cheat is pretty much anything fried or like heavy in meat or anything like uh, I'm I'm a southerner I love barbecue I love fried okra like all that uma like that deep salty savory mm-hmm. fried anything like uh yeah uh I've also been known who yeah I ate a jar of mayonnaise once um that was a long time ago. Charred mayonnaise. Yeah, the the seasoning. I'll just put pepper on it. Uh, yeah, it was homemade. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was a I younger guy that, that steps it down or steps it up. <laughs> <laughs> it adds texture. <laughs> um, no, but the other side is like um, uh, the other favorite midnight snack is associated with. Uh, uh, oh shoot, what the heck is it called? Um, my wife has found uh, like, Oh, like wasabi peas. Like they're, they're just crack. Um, they're, they're not going to really hurt you or anything like that. And especially during the cold season and things like that, they're just like a fantastic anecdote to getting over the stuffy nonsense that happens in your sinuses. Um, right. But yeah, between like, there's a category of any, like anything in this one category I'm yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it out. I may not even reheat it. I'll just eat it as is. Uh, but like wasabi peas are the other crack that um, I'll pop fairly frequently. How about you on that one? I'm I'm kind of curious. I'll throw a question back at you on that. Real quick. Oh, sure. You, sure. you, you, you said the magic words that you're a southerner. 
Yes. I've got to ask for your opinion on gravy. What about cream, gra- cream gravy or brown gravy? Which one do you consider to be better? Brown. So you're uh, not a true Southerner then? Well, I'm from Memphis. Uh, so this is my definition of brown gravy. Okay. Uh, so cream gravies, I've seen, uh, I've unfortunately, uh, is way easy to cut out the pan drippings. Uh, brown gravies give you like as close to the pan drippings in a reliable flavor as possible. Um, like consistent, like you're getting the drippings right out of the pan. Cream gravy, yeah. I've had unfortunately too many places be inconsistent with the amount of uh, milk that they put back into it or flour that they use with it, where it drowns out those notes of like any caramelized onions or uh, any kind of like reduction sauce that was added in with it, or that, that glazing that happens on the meat, the caramelization that happens on the meat, it drowns that stuff out. Uh, besides also with uh, brown gravy, like the straight up raw pan dropping piece, spread it on toast. That's breakfast sauce for you. Okay. Okay. That's straight up breakfast sauce. Okay, <laughs> that's my that's my opinion. Um, and no, like I, I see. And, and and I'll tell you, be, being from Texas, I would normally be in that category of you know be expected to like cream gravy. But I tell yeah. I, I tell you, if I go to a restaurant and I do order a chicken fried steak, which oh yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I I don't do as much anymore because a lot of restaurants there's more breading than there is steak sometimes. Yeah, it's just disgusting. Right, but but if I do order a chicken fried steak somewhere, um, I I will immediately, if I have not seen it on the menu, I will ask them if they have something besides cream gravy. Absolutely. There are are good ways to do cream gravy. There are not good ways. Yeah, it comes from um, um, Aramark or (laughs) like... (laughs) Airline reduction sauce. I don't know. Um, well, it's you know, if it's like you get a good a, a good peppered cream gravy. Okay, if you get a if you get a good homemade sausage gravy, especially over biscuits. Yes. Good. Yeah, yeah, but that you get that caramelization from the meat from the sausage that goes back into it, and that can be exactly. a very powerful flavor. Uh, but unfortunately, but cream, cream yeah. gravy is gravy that lacks flavor, in my opinion. That's that, that's how I yeah. describe it. There, there's not a lot of depth to it uh i've had it with a lot of depth and that's what i like um up uh, by the jack daniels distillery is a restaurant called miss mary bobo's mm-hmm. um highly recommend anyone to go there if they've not experienced it they their gravy is uh a religion um it's uh uh also bring a hammock if you're going there because you will need a nap um okay uh it's a dry county and all that stuff but uh, you will need to sleep it off before you drive back to Nashville. Uh, Fair enough. But yeah, on, in the sense of gravy, that's that's my perspective on that. Uh, knowing you're from Texas, I'm sorry you don't have barbecue. <laughs> now, 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 no, it, it, bar, barbecue has different categories. Yes, yeah, so uh, Memphis I, I, and May is the barbecue fest of the United States and sometimes the world. Um, well, and and I've and I've been to Memphis and I've had barbecue in Memphis and it's good, but I can't sit down and truthfully compare Memphis barbecue to Texas barbecue. Agreed. To Carolina I'll, barbecue, you know, it's just yeah. No, I'll, I'll give you that. So, like, there, there's uh, 
there's one part of it is stylization as well as what you're raised around and mm -hmm. the uh totally get that understand that but a line has to be drawn in the sand it's got to be pork uh for it to be barbecue uh, like brisket uh, brisket's good i like brisket Brisk brisket's fine it's not barbecue <laughs> sorry <laughs> all right all right i'm done i'm done poking but no it's um uh i do love barbecue uh it's like whenever i go back uh to visit family uh, uh I, my wife is from the north um and uh married a damn yankee uh <laughs> but the uh whenever we first get there the first meal is always uh central barbecue or tops barbecue it's already set it's already there like i could walk in the house and i smell it and i'm like uh my stomach's like <laughs> and um yeah it, it's a it's an immediate need and requirement at that particular point there you go um okay well uh i could talk your head off over like no. pie, catfish <laughs> oh uh, okay, uh, okay. South Texas, South Texas. There was one diner I went to that they had a pecan pie cobbler. Oh. So, so no pie crust, no, no uh, chance to overcook the top layer of pecans. Yeah. Yeah. That can happen. It's just the stuff that's in the middle of a pecan pie with diced up pecans in it Ooh. is basically what it was. It was wonderful, and it was, it, as Wilford Brimley would say, diabetes. I got, I got goosebumps <laughs> thinking over that. Um, oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, next time I'm down in your neck of the woods, we're doing that. It's, uh, um, well, I, it, it's it, th th this this particular place. It, uh, it, it it's um, in the general Houston area. Okay. So, yeah. uh, so I, uh, I will. I will be happy to uh, send you some details of exactly where you would need to go uh, to to find this. It'd be a little bit of a drive outside of Houston, but okay. it, it, they they have good hamburgers too. I mean, you, you you can't you can't beat the food that they serve up at that place. I'll I'll send you details. Awesome, on thank you. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Future date. <laughs> there you go. Um, okay, so uh, so also knowing that you're a southerner. Usually more than not, if I were to ask you ask you if you're a football fan, you're probably a football fan, right? Actually, I'm not. Um, you're not a football fan. I'm not a football fan. So this is the background on that. The reason why I moved up to the Northeast, I grew up in the South, very strong into technology. Mm -hmm. uh, grew up in Memphis, not a techno technology-focused city in the 80s and 90s, early 2000s. I mean, FedEx changed a lot of that. Um but lacking access to those resources, what I became proficient in was eat, drink, shoot, and blow things up. Um, so okay. I could do all that. Uh, one of the personal reasons why, like I was, uh, I, I got bullied pretty hard and like through the schooling. Cause I was, uh, if, if you saw a picture of me when I was 18, you'd swear I was nine. <laughs> Um, right. <laughs> so I, I was never an athletic person. I had asthma. I still have asthma. Um, and, uh, so sports was never my thing. And I, I equated psychologically sports to bullies, uh, growing up. And so I just, 
I tried sports. I was never also really good at them, but that's a practice make per, uh, per, uh, practice makes perfect thing, anyways. But I just never really cared for it. Plus, also Memphis, humidity and heat. Um, sports are outdoorsy things. I don't like sweating. Um, <laughs> I really uh, like. I'll I'll exercise now because that's what you have to do when you get older. Uh, but. I really still don't like sweating unless it's uh, actually unless it's hunting because uh, <laughs> I'm on a mission at that point. But no, it's um, uh, growing up down there. I had a really great uh, mentor uh, named Fred Neal um, mm-hmm. and uh, the school that I ended up going to. Uh, he and his family lived on the school grounds and they had the keys to the campus and uh he also happened to be the science teacher. So 4th of July was making Roman candles and throwing potassium in the lake at the school or doing crazy electronics. His son, brilliant kid, as a crazy physicist uh, who I keep occasional contact with. Uh, but I looked up to his son, who was four years ahead of me, and um, uh, whose also name was Fred Neal. Um, but the uh, uh, he took me under their wing in order to get me exposed to the technology side of stuff and the science side of stuff. Cause it was, uh, it's, it's a sports area and I just had no interest in it and I was waning. And, but, um, and I was also, it's like, like in the hacker manifesto, I was bored in school. I was a low performer because I was bored and it was boring and I just didn't care. And, uh, that, that's an attitude issue. Um, but, because it goes on your permanent record. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, The only permanent record anyone has is with the IRS, in my opinion. Uh, But the, the, um, the exposure that, and coaching and mentorship, he taught me how to be a good mentor. Uh, But he, uh, when I was 16, I got my first job at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in the Digital Imaging and Signal Processing Laboratory, where I was writing software I, I had my own SGI Onyx 2 for me. Like everyone in the lab had their own. And there were 10 of us in the lab. And it was mostly grad students and this kid. Um, and I was writing software that was taking the MRI images and using OpenGL to stitch them together so you can spin the brain around and get a 3D representation of a child's brain. And still got the code because I was really proud of it. Uh, but that was the mentor over there. Uh, he gave me... Uh, a copy of uh, numerical recipes in C. And that's when I started really going, aha, and uh, software development and all that sort of stuff uh, as a thing. And um, and then there was another individual, Bob Manchek, um, who I need to call. I haven't spoken to him in a while. Another great mentor guy uh, whose kids went to the same school, but also a strong technologist, in Memphis, and I started getting, I started finding who the tech folks were, and I ended up uh, getting, uh, becoming friends with the guy who owned the biggest ISP in Memphis called Memphis Online, uh, who gave me a, a severely discounted rate to uh, for internet access. So I had <laughs> uh, a dual band ISDN modem uh, with static wow. IPs uh, to my house. Um, in the uh, mid nineties that I was paying for by myself for my salary from St. Jude's. <laughs> um, and I was really like, I, I was having a blast and, uh, uh, and uh, like 
all my workstations, like I had an uh, Apple LC2 with a 10 base T Ethernet adapter on it, uh, my Power Mac 8150 workgroup server, which I still have over here, uh, and a handful of other things that were that had public routable IPs. But then it's like, oh, Linux, I should learn that. And I installed a Red Hat box. And uh, I was at school. Uh, I was um, sophomore. And the FBI showed up. And uh, <laughs> uh this is when I learned about information security as an actual construct. Uh, I knew about hacking, dabbled in some dark arts or whatever stuff at that point, but actually, like, uh, there was no 2600 scene in Memphis, none whatsoever. Um, and uh, anything that you, like, yeah, there was a bunch of us uh, that ran the IT program for the school that we were at, and we were all kids. Mm -hmm. And we'd like to show each other cool tricks and things that we found and uh, mess with the teachers and other students and all that stuff. Cause that's, if you're not into sports, that's what you do. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, they showed up looking for me and that was my first introduction to that organization. And I said it the third time. I'm not paranoid. <laughs> um, if you hear anything, you know, no, um, already. Anyways, uh, they showed it's the up. Ghost, it's the ghost of Jay Edgar. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> that's what that feeling is um actually you know what's funny enough one of them just texted me so <laughs> uh, i'm looking over at my signal messaging over here uh but the um it turns out my linux box got rooted um and because it was everything was exposed to the internet i didn't know about right. firewalling or anything at that point and uh uh the Unix guy or the main security kind of rollish person at Memphis online uh, explained to me what was going on. I gave him full access to the box and he tore it apart and gave the information to the feds. That's the first time I met an agent and I never had seen one for over a de uh, like a decade ish later, actually half a decade um, uh, timeline in my head. Um, but the, um, that was my first introduction to like, wow, someone could actually misuse a box maliciously. Uh, my box was used to hack a bank um, and wow. steal money. And uh, they stole a lot of money. Uh, Fedwire, uh, the transactions on Fedwire, as I understand it, the ACH transfers were stopped, but the attempt was made. And I was like, wow, okay. So I learned about this stuff at that particular point and uh, started pivoting into that direction got it i tried to show the school that here's some things that you need to fix that security software suite product that you bought for a lot of money um here's the way to get around it and here's how to mitigate getting around that and they didn't like that uh so the guidance counselor tried to humiliate me and i won't forget her <laughs> um and uh uh anyways that, that was this weird contentious uh uh, relationship there, but senior year, I was that kid, like the teacher said, do not show up to prom, do not show up to the stand or anything like that. I was told, don't show up to senior prom by the teachers. Wow. Uh, so my two other friends and I, we played Quake 2, uh, Rocket Arena, prom night. Uh, my parents uh, provided us alcohol. It was great. But we stayed at my parents' house, and we had a good time. And um, then the school tried to accuse us of vandalism and all that stuff, and they were like, no, they were over at our house. And just, How could they have? <laughs> and uh, at that point, I was pretty much done 
with everyone in that organization. Uh, I never felt betrayal like deeply, like until at that point. And uh, so my senior prank was uh, rewriting the blue screen of death. Um, Cause you could send a custom message to the target. Right. And I, uh, I was about six minutes off on my timing on the execution of this, but it was uh, alphabetical order. A senior, as they stepped and accepted their diploma, a blue screen of death would fire on someone's machine with that senior's quote. <laughs> now, what I didn't necessarily like hindsight's twenty twenty, like the decade we're in. Um, uh, I thought it was no big deal because you just press space, uh, space bar and you can save whatever you're working on and reboot the machine and you're fine. No one else realized that. Um, <laughs> and for the rest of the school, everyone else was working on their final papers. Wow. <laughs> I was not popular at that point. Uh, so, yeah, moved on to college, um, went to Drexel University for a little while. Uh, and then that's when I got exposed to 2600. Um, and a broader tech audience and a broader hacking scene and a broader, all that sort of stuff. And eventually ended up running the Philly 2600 website and uh, chapter for a while. Um, until someone showed up with a taser and started firing it. And I saw police walking over and I said, F it. I'm out. I'm an adult. I'm really an adult. I don't need this. <laughs> and, uh, uh, walked away from it at that point, but that's like kept in touch with a handful of folks and, uh, um, went off. Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, <laughs> that, that was kind of like one of the coming of age stories. And I was kind of like stunted in my growth as in like in real life, but also at that point, like my voice didn't drop until I was smoking cigarettes and then I stopped smoking <laughs> cigarettes. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but anyways, yeah, that, that's kind of the, uh, the story on that side, um, of the house okay. and, um, yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, so you, you, have mentioned a couple of times how, uh, one of the things that you do enjoy doing is hunting. Yes. Um, what, what is your, uh, hunting implement of choice? Depends on what I'm getting. Um, so bird hunting duck, uh, I'll do sea duck and wood duck, uh, Benelli Nova, uh, is my favorite shotgun for that. Um, actually I just got it dipped again. Uh, because of sea, uh, salt water and corrosion. Uh, yeah. So that that's there. Um, my first deer rifle that I bought as an adult was a um, Beretta Tika T3 Tactical 308. Uh, and I was popping whitetails at furthest distance was about 400 yards pretty reliably with that. Um, and... Uh, I did my first elk hunt the other year, uh, shot a, uh, eight by eight, uh, at 420 yards in Colorado. Those are joking there. Um, with, a Browning X-Bolt limited, uh, that's a 300 wind mag. Um, and, uh, the folks at home can't see this, but you can, they're all behind that door. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so uh, I built a walk-in gun vault uh, that also happens to house my server farm because um, <laughs> guns and servers both like low humidity and cooling. Um, but I also have uh, I have some a few other semi I have a few semi-automatic 12 gauges 
that I've used for like Dove. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, I have my original 20 gauge I had as a kid that my kids will end up using, but also for people who are first time shooters, uh, I'll if they're smaller in frame, like a uh, like women first time, I'll give them this 20 gauge because it's got a shorter stock on it, and I have another 20 gauge for guys because bigger. Um, yeah. And uh, I'll I'll teach people on that. Uh, squirrel gun is uh, a takedown. It's the um, uh, shoot Ruger 1022 takedown. Um, trying to run through anything else that may be of particular. So yeah, those are pretty much my hunting uh, implements. Everything else is either uh, like I have the I have a daughter shotgun which is the <laughs> DP12. And if you do a Google Google image search on that, you'll see why. Uh, and then I have the, I have a Sun pistol, which is the, um, uh, give me a moment, uh, FN57. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've other, so like I said, I don't, I'm not a physically athletic person, so the only really athletic thing that I do is the hunting aspect of things. But uh, some people go to batting cages. I'll play redneck golf, where you shoot the golf ball at 100 yards or further um, okay. and try to get it to deflect in a particular direction if you can. And you walk up to it with a pistol as a 22 and shoot it into the hole. But the, <laughs> uh, uh, but the idea is uh, that sense of calm and focus that a lot of athletes get over their own physiological responses to adrenaline and things like that. I get that through hunting or, or actually okay. just shooting. Um, so being able to have a posture, control my breathing, control my heart rate, do timing and uh, some firearms that I have, their MOAs are incredible at high yardage. So if the bullet goes off, it's my fault. So it kind of goes back into the hacker manifesto of it. This machine doesn't have bias. It doesn't care about me. If it screws up, it's because I screwed up. And uh, it's that construct of perfection of my own control of myself um, in that aspect of things without breaking a sweat. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, um, uh, it's something I grew up around. It's not for everyone. Uh, certainly not for my wife. She doesn't care for him that much, but she appreciates and understands that I, that I've got this hobby. She goes, at least you don't play golf for real. Um, so whenever I come home with another one, uh, I go, it could be a new set of clubs. Just say that just say, <laughs> and I'll start coming home with clubs. Just say it. So it's, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's another one of those random hobbies of, um, being able to get out in the sun. There's a great shotgun course, not far from where I'm at. Uh, that's a, a, rock, a rock quarry. Um, that's set up like an 18 round golf course that got 18 stations. It's something like 200 rounds. Uh, and the birds fly in all directions, like over they'll do the rabbit stuff, but they'll like skip them across a lake. That's a quarry. It's outdoors. It's gorgeous. Uh, you get a golf cart, lock it in and drive it from station to station or a stroller. Uh, they don't let you like just keep it slung or anything like that for safety reasons. But uh, they also have an RFID system, which is Proxmart. Um, ask me how I know, uh, or don't, because <laughs> uh, you already know the answer to that. But the the um, it, it's a fun place, and it's uh, a little bit different. And then there's another friend, uh, Vlad. Uh, we've only done it 
reliably once so far, but we keep planning on doing it again. But we'll have Redneck Day where he brings his toys, I bring my toys, and we go out to a rock quarry and um, see how long it takes until the police show up. <laughs> nice. So Tannerite is a hell of a boom. Uh, <laughs> so, like, yeah, we'll put Tannerite downrange, hidden in objects. So, like, we'll go to Dick's Sporting Good, and then right across the street is Walmart, where mm-hmm. you can buy, like, the day-old fruit on cheap. Or, like, awful kids' toys, like, stuff that's getting ready to go out, and you just put it in the targets and put them downrange. And, <laughs> um, uh, you know, the pink mist is the watermelon. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, like, the first time we did it, it was, uh, so his uh, brother, uh, I believe, is a Tier 1 trauma surgeon. Uh, or he works at a tier one hospital as a trauma surgeon. So we had first aid, I was range control. He was uh, firearm safety. And then the locals were hearing the explosions that came out and just watched us. We're like, do you want to shoot? And they're like, no, y'all having fun. Just go. <laughs> uh, this is great. And uh, then, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. Um, I, 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 I kind of picked up on, uh, kind of picked up on your age earlier. And uh, you were talking about, uh, getting into some of the stuff you did while you were still in high school. Yeah. It makes me, makes me wonder how was Y2K for you? Um, Y2K. So my now wife was then my girlfriend and both of her parents were directors of it. One was for director of IP, it for U, uh, UPenn and the other one was for a financial services firm. And, uh, I got to live vicariously through their experiences. The university, I was like, meh. The financial services firm was not cavalier <laughs> <laughs> or casual uh, towards any of that. But no, Y2K uh, uh, was, it was my first experience processing hype, media hype with technology. And, um, that was the first, the sky is falling. We're all going to die. Uh, now granted, I mean, yeah, there were some situations I imagine and, uh, well, anecdotally I've read that a, a thing would have been bad, but it wouldn't have been the catastrophic power failure. Uh, you know, um, not exactly a oh, post-apocalyptic scheme of scene of whatever, uh, not scheme scene of whatever, but the, um, aspect associated with uh, uh my dad at the time he worked uh he he oversaw a hospital system in the mid-south um he was concerned but not really uh it was like the uh, we're not having earthquakes we're not having fires i mean, we'd still accept patients we have paper uh, <laughs> so like there was some realistic the thing my takeaway from it was not necessarily the technology it was the reaction to technology and society and uh, society's response to, well, that was a whole lot of nothing. No, you, you, you talk about the, the societal response to stuff like that. This is totally has nothing to do with technology, but it is a Y2K story. Um, I was, a, I, uh, was at, on the, this one job in Georgia. It ended up being short term. Um, but... Uh, was you know I, I i had moved away from like all the base of everything that i knew in life 
whether it's whether it's uh, you know where can you get Bluebell, which I found out still carried carried that at Walmart. Um, to uh, to uh, where in the world do I go to church? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, whenever you move from one area of the country to another, uh, you know how how you find groupings of churches just changes, right? And so there was this one church I ended up going to that I just had this weird feeling the entire time I was there. I end up finding later that this church had renamed uh, not too long after Y2K because they had gone through a split of their congregation. Not split the unit, split of, okay, yeah. (laughs) Split split of their congregation because um, half of their congregation was convinced Y2K was just going to be this big apocalyptic debacle that they were going to move all move up to the Ozarks and ride out Y2K in the Ozarks. And I'm just like, okay, I, I, I hit the people that weren't oddball enough to go ride out the supposed apocalypse up in the mountains, but they're not, they, they, they weren't that much better. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, firstly, I hope when I was swinging up my mic, that was muting my microphone when I was blowing my nose. Otherwise I was taking the edge off this desk with the table router when you were in the middle of your talk. So I apologize if, if it picked oh, up. No, no, it didn't. It didn't. Oh, perfect. That still works. Um, so uh, society's response to technology. So um, there's, there's something that I've formed as a belief uh, and it changes. Um, but we live in a remarkable time right now. Um, like mankind has done a lot of crazy things, uh, both technology wise and our impact on this planet in various forms. Like no other species of animal has changed the shape and uh, the shape or the chemical content or anything like that of this planet, other than probably plankton. Uh, <laughs> and, uh like in such a short amount of time that I feel like that we have, um, and that's society's adaptation of technology and what we're seeing right now with like all the climate stuff and things like that is our response to that technological adaptation. Mm-hmm. But the Y2K stuff, um, not specifically talking about cyber, but is the, uh, there's a lot of problems that we as a species has solved. Like, We've just about wiped out polio. That's great. We've solved most of that problem. We're still dealing with that um, functionally in, uh, like, I think, India and Africa, uh, but in pockets at this particular point. Uh, I'm not entirely exactly sure on that, but the last thing I remember rattling around in this rat in the cage in my head uh, was about that. But But we want something to worry about all the time. Uh, there, there's a subtle thing. There's an animalistic aspect of something's got to be wrong. Something's not quite right. And the news media cycle, uh, profits off of that. So there are motivation factors to find things that, uh, that are wrong, uh, to feed back, uh, into this animalistic uh, loop of like where the left side of the brain looks to the right side of the brain says it's cold in here and dark and we might die soon. Um, 
to paraphrase Lewis Black. Um, so the Y2K aspect of the, uh, the response on that, I think, was uh, thumping that brainstem component of our reptilian minds of like, something's wrong and you have nothing you can do about it. And then there was the news media cycle or function associated with that. But if you move even further down, there's various things that pop up with a similar theme um, where like, yeah, legit, the power grid has issues. Legit infrastructure has issues. Legit hospitals have issues. Their business decision, uh, technology choices because of business decisions. And um, and the aspect, the risk and the exposure that we as a species face from our own ineptitude uh, is great uh, because ain't no one going to be held accountable uh, for any of this stuff when it goes up in flames because everyone's going to be dead. Uh, but the no, uh, but the uh, except for uh, uh, oh shoot, what's his, the musician's name? Uh, after cockroaches uh, die, Ozzy Osbourne and this guy are going to be the last ones standing. Um, Keith Richards. Keith Richards. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Keith, yeah, they're going to be the the last ones. Uh, like Keith Richards will be smoking the cockroaches. Um, but the um, I think there's a lot of unnecessary fear and realistic. Uh, 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 there's a lot of unnecessary fear. And that's created an unrealistic perception of the state of how things actually are. And we're distracted. Uh, there's a lot of the wag the dog, uh, I feel, at least, uh, mm -hmm. about actual true risks and actual real things. Uh, security through legislation and vice versa is not an appropriate response. That's a Band-Aid on um, the little Dutch boy who's got his finger in the thing. Um whatever that thing may be. Um, but there's also that strange philosophical aspect of like, I'd love to live in the world of Star Trek where all of mankind unites behind one thing. And like, we just do the right thing, but we're not there as the current news cycle has shown. Um, but the uh, uh, construct associated around what actual risks are and is someone going to die? Uh, like going back into that sort of thing uh, creates a actual good measured response in my mind of things to actually worry about. Um, who cares if the stock market crashes? No one's going to die because the retirement funds evaporate. You're going to be alive tomorrow when your retirement funds evaporate. But when ransomware hits a hospital and kills their computing systems that deal with medication power, dosage, mm -hmm. uh, admission, uh, things like that. People could die over that. That's a thing to be yeah. worried about. Um, and the, uh, I think there's like this dystopia, uh, this wrong focus, uh, when it comes to things like, yeah, we could be concerned about that stuff, but don't also get various underpants in a wad associated, uh, around it, but be realistic about a calm and steady approach, um, to these risks and to these threats. Um, that's, that's actually one thing that my last employer taught me was uh, uh, how to have a calm mind and a calm approach to a crisis. Because uh, mm -hmm. when, um, 
there, there's one story I'll share, uh, like ADHD jumping on that. Uh, when, uh, when the Boston bombings, uh, occurred, uh, that job exposed me to the best in humanity and the worst in humanity at the same time. And the best in humanity aspect of things was when people were showing up saying here, government agency, I don't care. Search my phone. Take as much data as you want off of this. I don't care. Take it all. Had I still been there and just walked up to you now and said, hey, can I get a copy of everything on your phone? You'd tell me to go stuff myself. But like <laughs> that was the societal response of like the best of humanity in trying to do uh, things in that. And the worst humanity was the, uh, the event itself. Um, uh, and I had a personal experience associated with that event, which was... Uh, uh, two other individuals and I were working on collecting all that data inside the organization mm -hmm. and organizing it and things like that. And we wrote uh, Python script in, a, in the infrastructure data we had built to take the geotagging information off uh, the metadata, out of the images and all that stuff. And we identified the person um, uh, that evening of people giving us all the stuff because we were able to, like, certain, certain phones could pivot and give you a direction on seven that it was a great like i, I oh, that was a late night but also just as equally there's a computer scientist out of that office that was manually reviewing the video by hand and just about at the same time he had identified the individual as well uh and the same thing so that was like a really awesome thing so like i came back into the office like hi, hi, i know who it is before the rest of you do because uh, we had already communicated internally and all that sort of stuff uh, and they were already moving with it very very quickly but everyone else who i was sitting like next and right to we were sitting there like watching the news cycle and i was like i know who did it <laughs> um, but you know that that's the humorous like aspect of a very tragic response but it's the uh um, that, that, that's kind of like that mindset of we rushed, uh, like we worked really hard, lives were at risk, all hands on deck, real thing, real bad thing. Do like work really hard on that. Um, any other time it's a manufactured emergencies. Um, but yeah, the Y2K uh thing i got to live vicariously through other people and i've asked other folks i was a, a an intern at sunguard at the time well not an it was a co-op um mm -hmm. through the uh, university so i had a job there and i worked in the it department and we did the best we could and um but i was not in an active on-call role despite having a pager and all that other silly stuff which i may actually still have somewhere in this house <laughs> uh skytel uh but uh Boy, if I still have that, that battery is going to be bad. <laughs> uh, now that I think about it, maybe I don't want to find it. Um, but nevertheless, the uh, the crises that we've had named as crises are concerned. Like nothing's happened. Like, uh, yeah, we've seen nation state malware hit specific things, but like, cool story, bro. At the end of the day, um, it's not a no one's died from it yet. And I'll caveat it with yet because uh, in my personal opinion, there is a group, there's an industry behind criminal malware. So nation state stuff, you ain't stopping that. Like you're, you're one person against uh, a country that has more right. resources than you do. 
like uh, you're you're one person. They've got multiple PhDs and mathematicians and computer scientists and infrastructure folks and OPSEC and billions of dollars probably. That's a resource <laughs> game. You ain't winning that. Yeah. Um, what you can best do in that case is have a plan for when it does hit you. Um, but on the criminal side, um, one of the reasons why I love white ops is the mission is to change the game, uh, the landscape, change the economics. Uh, don't uh, change how much it costs to operate a botnet. Uh, right. so that it is less advantageous for someone to operate one. And that's where the company is going in that case. And that that's what I enjoy being out over there because it changes. It'll change, hopefully, I feel, in the next year or so, this ransomware stuff that we're dealing with of it being as pervasive as it is on hitting hospitals and municipalities and um, places along those lines because it's a really good business model. They have full-fledged call centers in other countries that help you through it. And uh, until we do something about like the proverbial we, not just White House, but like anyone, like the proverbial we about changing how the cost of that works, they're, they're just going to keep making money off of it and they'll just keep doing it. And eventually they're the higher risk because they're going to hit the thing that's going to have the unintended consequences. Nation states have a goal, have an objective. They, they know what they're going to go after. Um, there's discussions and approvals and things along those lines. Criminals are like, hey, button press. And then... Uh, <laughs> what kind like, of chaos can I cause today? <laughs> uh, well, maybe not necessarily that. Like, I've seen criminal groups, like, target subject A, and it detonated on subject B, and they go, oh, shoot, we went over there? Cool, there's more <laughs> money over there. Let's do that one instead. Uh, like, it, it's... it's uh, it's there's a lot of uh, where there's an opportunity to smash and grab. There's an opportunity for clumsiness and mm-hmm. that's human error and that's mistakes and unintended consequences. And that's where I have actual concern uh, yeah. personally. Um, so yeah, that that's, that's my Ted talk. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. I, I, I did hear you. Uh, I, I did hear you mention Star Trek at one point. Got to, you know, yeah. got to, got to ask that that uh, proverbial question that you got to ask of anybody that enjoys science fiction: Star Trek or Star Wars? Uh, you're going to ask a marriage divorce question, aren't you? <laughs> um, so I'm a Trekkie. Uh, if I had to lean one side or the other, because uh, I have the NCC 17 series blueprints and phasers and all that stuff, like right over there. My wife is the Star Wars person. Okay. Um, but kind of like how I say uh, cowboys, sorry, no, uh, ninjas and pirates agree cowboys suck. Um, the uh, Star Wars and Star Trek people agree Lord of the Rings is pretty cool. <laughs> so uh, the, the, uh, it's, it's a freedom of choice sort of thing for everyone. The, the reason why I was leaning more towards Star Trek than anything else is that it seemed more realistic as a thing that could be achieved from sci-fi to a real thing. And so far that seems to have proven true. Um, 
Well, they, they they already have some of the technology figured out and squared away, and yeah. they're and they're working on other parts of it as we speak. So yeah, yeah. From a techno- like a person who who loves the technology of things, like which is my my core, like that's why I gravitated uh, that way. Yeah, their aliens sucked. Like there there were like everything has two eyes, two arms, two legs, and just green paint on their face. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I will give creativity points and stylization points over uh, a more realistic, not totally plausible and all that stuff, but more realistic in the sense for uh, Star Wars of what aliens could be like. But we don't know. Uh, the uh, okay. So, so speaking of all that, um, did, have you have you uh, watched the existing two seasons of Star Trek Discovery? Uh, I don't catch a lot of TV. Um, the it's on my to-do list the um so that this is this is my life at this point uh i get to work from home that's an awesome privilege i help the kids get out the door with the wife she goes to her job i start crunching on stuff they come home deal uh family time they are at this point in this call uh my wife is, re- uh, I heard the bath water run. She's probably uh, done with them uh, shortly to go to bed. Then when that happens uh, afterwards, uh, she goes off to her hovel to ignore me for the rest of the evening. And I go off and do my own thing for the rest of the evening. And then maybe we'd say hi. <laughs> no, it's, uh, no, we, we watch uh, during the weeknights. We do things like John Oliver or uh, comedic uh, okay. half hour things. Cause our, our son is one ish at this point. Um, and so like, we don't want to commit to something that's going to be greater than half an hour to an hour of time period that like, if you interrupt it, it's going to be hard to get back into it. Um, because he's hungry, he's growing and like me, he poops a lot. Um, (laughs) and the, uh, our daughter's fine. She's awesome. Uh, she's an autopilot uh, as far as nighttime activities are concerned, but he's still figuring things out. So from our weeknight schedules, there's that. And then there's also the time of baking in our own personal time for things that we want to do ourselves. So we have dinner typically pretty late for the family, like seven 30 to eight is usually when we start eating. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my, uh, my wife, she cooks everything from scratch and it's amazing. Um, but I'm doing activities with kids or making sure they're not like about to kill themselves. Yeah. 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 And and we talk, we play games and all that stuff. And Oh my God, my daughter was awesome. She's, she's now doing puns. Uh, uh, she, she, uh, told a joke as I, and this was, I'm going to read it from my phone. Uh, this was actually, uh, sent to me by my wife this morning. Uh, our neighbor uh, was walking their dog, uh, the new puppy. It was super cute. And uh, Maddie says, she looks like the dog uh, that we used to have who's buried in the backyard. And she said it with enthusiasm. And the neighbor was like, I went back and I saw the security camera tape on this. I was like, there's probably an eyebrow raise. But, and, but the neighbor cracks up. And then my daughter said later at the car ride to school, that puppy was so cute. It was a doggable. <laughs> oh, she's learned she's learned puns and dad jokes. And then the other thing that she uh, did the other night was uh, my wife was cooking and she was 
for one reason, like she was bent over getting pots out of the uh, cupboard. And my daughter just walks up behind her, drops an ice cube down her pants. And <laughs> that I did not say anything. There was no direction. She just did that and laughed. <laughs> that I, I laughed. My, my wife shrieked and then she started <laughs> laughing and then there was an ice cube war. But uh, so no, it's uh, the, the weeknights are built in that the weekends are like some family times and all that stuff. But like being able to carve out like a two hour window, we try to one weekend a month, two weekends a month, like sit down to watch something like that. Like game of Thrones was a commit. It was on a calendar uh, to watch um, uh, for us because of uh, the craziness. But yeah, like the other evening schedules, like uh, she'll do her, she'll read books, podcast, net, um, uh, read up on new recipes or try stuff. I, I, I think tonight she wants to try this new cookie recipe that she read about or want to try to make a permutation of uh, because our, our son is allergic to just about everything. So she's trying to substitute a variety of different ingredients with all the ones and see how they taste and all that stuff. So she's doing that. She's an awesome, wonderful mom, uh, wonderful wife. And she's awesome on that. In the meantime, I'm down here in the pit of despair uh, working on uh, soldering projects and coding on Kismet and doing what I want to do, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, I it's on my list of things to watch, and uh, I think I may pretty soon carve out time. So that's the long-winded answer <laughs> to that. Uh, no, I haven't watched it. It's on my to-do. <laughs> no, but when, whenever you do get a chance to watch it, I'd be curious to hear your take on how they uh, did up the Klingons in the first season. Uh, yeah, I did see a spoiler on that. And um, uh, eh, I could go purist route or this is a new thing. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I will wait to see through and through versus the, it was like, Oh, baby Yoda. Okay. We're doing that now. And, uh, um, it's like, it it, it felt like to me the same intentional bombshell in an audience of folks. Well, the, 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 the two cents I'll provide my, my own perspective I'll provide, um, is that in the second season they transitioned the look of the Klingons a little bit mm-hmm. to match the existing look of the Klingons from Next Generation Gen- One? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and I think they did that because there was an outcry about how the Klingons looked in the first season. Yeah, but they did try to explain it within the story. They, 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 they did try to explain why the Klingons looked X, well, well, looked like X versus Y in, in, the, in the next season. And I think it was a little bit of a cop out, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't a horrible explanation. Well, it, it goes into this religion around canon stuff. And I'm all for artistic license. As long as the artistic license was applied. In other words, it, it, from what I'm gathering, it's like they did a thing and then tried to create reasoning around the thing that they did versus coming up with the reasoning and something and, and then, then presenting that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that was um, uh, cart and horse. 
<laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, def, I definitely think they put the car before the horse in that particular case. But and, it def, def, definitely want you to watch it, though. I, I, I definitely want to yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Your, uh, uh, your opinion on it. Uh, and if it if it angers me enough, I will show you the uh, various targets that I use to express my rage on <laughs> afterwards. There you go. There you go. Okay, uh, we we are down to two questions left. Okie dokie. Okay, uh, question number nine. What was your favorite band in high school? Ooh, uh, I actually experienced a music transition during that time period, and I'm not entirely sure this question is a security question as well. So, <laughs> but whatever. Um, I know how I do my answers for this stuff anyways. Uh, so um, I did a lot of percussion instruments uh, as the thing. I did a lot of xylophones, timpanis, drums, uh, bells, tubes. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of heading, I guess there probably could be, uh, some sense of, uh, a psychological aggression. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like there, there's probably something there on that, but like, even now, like I'll find myself still just jamming and doing that sort of stuff, uh, which annoys the hell out of my daughter. Um, be quiet, daddy. I'm trying to listen. Uh, but the, so I did a lot of, um, buddy rich jazz, okay. uh, music growing up. And um, this was weird for me because like grunge and all that stuff was what everyone else was listening to. And I was listening to classical and jazz and various things of complexity in that side. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, I was not because all my bullies and all of them were on that one side. I was like, fuck you. I'm going to be different over. Oh, I'm not PG 13 <laughs> anymore. Uh, the uh, well, actually I get one F word. Uh, for PG 13, I, I believe, but the, the, um, well, my rules anyways, but anyways, <laughs> the, the, uh, I think part of that was my stubbornness on that. Now answering now I've gone back to re-listen to a lot of the bands that were during that time period. And I really, really enjoy it. I'm a metalhead. Um, my daughter's a metalhead. That's, uh, <laughs> my son goes to sleep to Metallica. Uh, like pre-fuel like that's the only metallica is pre-fuel um uh, everything fuel and later was radio bs uh, i don't like it i don't have anywhere near it but anyways that's also a religion uh up for debate for anyone else uh whatever floats your boat is whatever but my choice <laughs> is pre-fuel uh so like orion like that's an entirely percussional instrumental song and my son I start playing that. Like if I hold him and I'm rocking him, he'll be up and daddle around for like 10 minutes or anything like that. I put Orion on and I rock him. He's out in like a minute. There um, and if I stop it, he's awake. Uh, uh -huh. My daughter uh, likes neurosis um, and she likes Pantera. Uh, there's a few songs Ooh. of Pantera that I let her listen to. <laughs> uh, she's got a couple of years until we talk about cuss words and all that stuff. And like, when is it appropriate to say a thing and not, um, cause, uh, in my own self, like I've, I've come to enhance my verbal firewall. Uh, now that I have kids, it used to be a, um, non-stateful inspecting firewall curse word is curse word just don't say the curse word. Then I had to create kind of a stateful inspection firewall where context matters. Uh, 
and there's a story that's behind that. And the story is, um, you know, curse words are curse words. Just don't say curse words around kids. They won't parrot the word back in daycare. Cool, easy, done. Uh, but jokes or things along those lines or things that aren't, they're contextual, that's an entirely different thing. And the story goes, um, uh, so Trump just got elected and my wife and I are not entirely pleased with the outcome, but she's really not pleased with it. And she's cooking dinner and she is angrily, angrily chiseling at Brussels sprouts and bacon and the uh, skillet, just like, just gouging <laughs> into it, turning them up. My daughter's sitting there happily in her high chair and she's just eating her dinner, having a good time. And I see, see her in the state, my wife in the state. And I, I thought like, Hey, like try to, bring a moment of levity you know it's like but it's like so beth what what's going on well look at the silver lining she just stops and she just glares at me over her glasses and i throw my arms up in the air and cheerfully scream race war like out of the whitest kids you know skit (laughs) and less than a second later my daughter goes Wraith War! Throwing her arms up in the air. I'm like, whoa. Like in my head, like that that look of anger just turned into a look of like high fidelity concentrated laser beams at me. <laughs> and in a moment of panic, I go, baseball! Because uh, it was like the enthusiasm that she was parroting more than anything else. And then she goes, race ball! I'm like, no, no, no. Baseball! And she goes, baseball like good baseball <laughs> and we do that over and over until she's forgotten about the other and like uh, she was doing baseball because but anyways because the way that you find a new daycare facility is when your blonde-haired blue-eyed child is running around screaming race war um <laughs> which those two words themselves are not in that active firewall naughty rule set but from a content filtering perspective, like if you want to go proxy rules and all that stuff, them together, eh, you don't want to remember that. So I, that was the day that I learned to actually watch the context of what I was saying, um, especially with the enthusiasm that follows it, no matter what humor may be tried to be implied with it. And um, if it ever comes up again, just show her Fast and the Furious. Because <laughs> that's yeah. not the only place that there's race wars, and it's not that. Yes, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's a different type of yeah. So yeah, for anyone who's not seen the uh, uh, the whitest kids you know skit for it, it's a uh, in my personal opinion, I was laughing way too much over the stupidity behind the whole thing. There, there was like a kids in the hall level um, okay. stuff, but nevertheless, um, yeah, that that's that's kind of the long-winded answer for that one. <laughs> All, right. All right. So then let's go ahead and move on to question number 10 then. Um, what is the best and the worst advice you've ever received? Plug it in. Is that the best or the worst? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or the other one was, trust me, it's okay. Trust me. Yeah, trust me. (laughs) Um, No, so um, I will actually answer this on two fronts. Uh, 
best and worst advice I've received and best and worst advice I've given. Um, I'm going to think on that second one because I'm going to have to mumble through some things. But while I explore the first one, best advice uh, that I've I've received has come multiple times over and over and over, and it's uh, don't give up. It's um, it's not necessarily being stubborn. It's not tenacity. It's not anything like that. It's just don't stop climbing the mountain. And that that applies to a lot of things. It applies to mental health. Um, I've got some friends uh, right now that are struggling, and we all struggle uh, with stuff. I even have had my own battles recently as well. Uh, but don't give up. People love you. People care for you. People believe in you no matter who you are or whatever you may think at that particular moment. And this is like, this is stuff people have heard before, but really and truly stop whatever it is you're thinking and doing, take a break for a moment and come back even half an hour later and think about it again, but don't give up. Um, in, in the context of don't give up, there's um, in the company that I'm at now, they allow us some time period to do a different activity that's not related to the task at hand because inspiration comes at like, people are always thinking about a particular problem, whether they're making a birdhouse or thinking about the problem in front of the computer getting frustrated. So mm -hmm. take some time to do something different, but don't give up. Like it'll come that the, the muse will tickle your spirit. I guarantee it, but don't give up. Um, and don't give up. Semicolon ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. Um, worst advice, uh, that I was ever given. Um, Trust me, it's okay. Uh, I've uh, my one of my business partners in that startup turned out to be a criminal uh, and was stealing money. Trust me, it's okay. Uh, I'm glad I went off my instinct. And uh, there's the construct of trust but verify. Um, but uh, it's a that was a life lesson more than anything else. Um, obey the law of gravity. That's another one. Uh, now the other bad advice, uh, probably, unfortunately, I think I've purged a bunch of it mentally. Cause I was like, well, that was a bad situation and just moved on from there. Um, there have been bad situations that I've been in that I would never repeat again, uh, as an adult. Cause you know, we look back on our lives and we become better and smarter and all that sort of stuff. There's relationships that I've had with people that I've subsequently realized were toxic and I shouldn't have uh, been involved with to begin with. Um, something that uh, this actually uh, posted, oh, this posted uh, an essay um, and it got, it made a, a little bit of light tweet uh, rounds, but it was about mentorship. And, mm -hmm. um, so I, uh, I teach, uh, formally, uh, I'm on hiatus right now, uh, from Drexel primarily because I'm figuring out my new life and my new role and all that sort of stuff, but they, they want me back. Um, and I'd love to be able to go back. I just need to make sure I can make going back fair, not just to that institution, but more importantly, the students, yeah. um, cause that's, that's a commitment. They have a financial commitment involved and, uh, an emotional one on top of that. In the meantime, I just got an emotional one. Um, but the mentoring, uh, I'm not entirely sure I want to mentor anymore. Uh, especially after, uh, 
recent events and stuff, and similar to what this went through, where there's there's people that come forward and ask for help, and you give a lot of yourself, and you help a lot and all that stuff, but it's like the horse and water sort of thing, and you get frustrated when their actions are self-inflicted harm and then like well, how'd this happen they're like well you put the fork in the electrical outlet like we've told you not to multiple times before and there there's a there's an emotional cost and there's an energy cost i'm okay devoting energy to people uh if it makes them better but the emotional cost is the hard part uh to reconcile and the uh, then you have the other group of people who are kind of the self-starters and all that sort of stuff, who don't, are, who aren't looking for mentorship and things like that. That just kind of pick it up and run with it themselves. What I'm going to try to do for myself better this year is to identify those folks who I could try to provide a signal boost for because they're they already got the motivation, they already yeah. like they got the they got the spark, they got the uh, whatever you want to call it. They got the glint. They got the uh, chewing gum. I don't know. Um, but it's, uh, I I agree with this, that there's a handful of folks that are out there that take advantage of people who are mentors uh, and people who want to do it. And they're, they want an easy button for a career. They want that six-figure fa- salary without doing anything. They want, um, they, they just want a handout. And I don't want to yeah. make it sound it like that, but distilled down to the bone that's almost what it feels like and um it's it's taxing and it's the mentees don't realize how much the mentors are giving of themselves and how much it hurts to see them go back into habits of struggle and cause frustration and things like that like it like i get frustrated when i still like some folks who have cut bait from a while ago like i see in the timeline like well you did that again that one the first time that you did that and it hurt again like why do you keep doing this to yourself person um so probably the worst advice that i've probably received was uh you should really be a mentor (laughs) that's the jaded answer on that but no it's um i love teaching i absolutely love teaching and i have fantastic students um but they have an incentive to succeed as well. Uh, they have that student loan. They have prospects. They have they have a lot of skin in the game, ultimately, at the yeah. end of the day. The mentorship thing, there's not a lot of... I don't get the perception there's a lot of skin in the game. Um, but that's just a recent introspective thing that I've started having about myself and trying to uh, review things for myself um this new decade new time period a lot of changes in my life on my own uh i'm just trying to evaluate all that now best advice uh sorry the worst advice i've probably given someone was um you should stay at that job and see how it plays out and uh because deep down i've I knew something wasn't quite right and all that stuff. And the deep down, like there is that construct of trust your gut and all that stuff. And, you know, coming from a law enforcement role, they say, yeah, trust your gut. It's like, no, that that's, that's not what it really is. It's experience and perception and observation of situa- situational awareness. Um, mm-hmm. uh, trust your sit rep. 
if something doesn't feel right, something's not right. Um, so like whether you're in a Starbucks or a gas station or in a business meeting, if something doesn't feel right, something ain't right. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, probably my worst advice came from like, I felt like something was wrong and I was just, I feel like I was lying to them just to try to calm them down and not like be panicky over it. Cause I was trying to uh, add an emotional investment on it uh, in some regards of like one, trying to make the person feel better about things and all that stuff. But yeah, emotions screw things up. Just like, you know, Spock was right. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that, that, that was probably the worst advice I was uh, that I ever gave, but the root of it was because I was trying to keep the person happy trying to make them feel safe. Uh, also, like, yeah, uh, I, I think that was the background on it. Without communicating correctly what I was feeling and evaluating at the time because I felt like it would make them upset. Um, so, yeah, like, that that was an I own that. That was entirely on me. And I even owned up to it later. Like, uh, um, so... I was like, yeah, I felt like that wasn't right. I don't know why I didn't say anything sooner. And it was like, oh, yeah, oh, I didn't say something sooner. So I felt like it would make you upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that that's fundamentally it. And uh, I don't view that as being lying, but I view that as being dishonest. Um, yeah. And then uh, the last place I worked at, they called it lack of candor. <laughs> so, there you go. Um, and that's that's fundamentally fundamentally that one. But, yeah. All right, all right. Well, Ross, that's the end of ten questions. Woo! I survived. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Um, oh, very much. Thank you. And, and this was uh, uh, my first podcast I've ever been able to be on. So thank you for uh, opening uh, that world of opportunities of a very pleasurable experience. Oh, of course, of course. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, and. Uh, I will uh, definitely look forward to being able to talk to you again.